0: Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter, Built by Scott, and Instagram at KingOpain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Seven years ago, Jamie and I set out to answer a question. Can you integrate the worlds of therapy and performance so that they work together for the benefit of the client? We knew that if we could create something truly tangible that was inclusive instead of exclusive, it would allow you, the practitioner, to solve more problems, work with purpose instead of across purpose, and in the end, you would earn more income by working smarter, not harder being fulfilled, and sought after for your solutions. After creating, reconditioning, and witnessing the change of so many professionals' lives and practices, we knew still there was one more ingredient we needed to make it a bulletproof process. For so many years, the brain and central nervous system were not clearly understood. There were a lot of theories and interesting practices, but the research just wasn't there to support the claims. But in the last 10 to 15 years, the world of neurology has come out of the laboratory into the world of real application. We knew this was the missing piece of our process, bringing the current practices of applied neurology into the empowering practice of reconditioning. Introducing Neuro-Reconditioning. The R-Pro series, four steps, one mission, to make you the neuro-reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. If you haven't started yet, it all starts out with our signature course, R-1 Foundations. R-1 is about learning the building blocks of assessing and improving functional movement through the lens of applied neurology. Maybe you've taken the first step, but that's a bit like being a freshman in a college. You've only just begun. R2 Designs empowers the process even further, so you can assess and improve any human movement, understand the visual and vestibular system, and then integrate your work into performance programming and return to performance. Both of these courses are completely online experiences, so you can digest everything from the comfort of your home, hotel, plane, or office. But knowing that there is so much value in trying, doing, and living the experience with us by your side, our new R3 Collab is about you experiencing the full power of the process in a living lab. Troubleshooting your issues, fixing your problems in real time, and gaining real confidence in the process, as well as learning how the brain integrates and manages everything we do. Finally, our R4 mentorship is about exposing your knowledge, refining your approach, and learning through a powerful feedback process so you can be a reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. For more information on all our course offerings, including our landmark personal development program empower you please check out reconditioninghq.com today and use the coupon code LYM50 for $50 off any one of our course offerings. If maximum strength injury prevention and performance enhancement are important to you Isofit's all new maximum strength kit is an absolute must- add addition to your arsenal requiring less than 7 square feet of space isofits cost saving design provides over 2000 pounds of resistance for millions of isometric based strength exercise made from cold rolled canadian steel isofits maximum strength kit is the world's first performance product dedicated to maximizing isometric strength peak isometric force, and maximum isometric endurance strength. Since 2015, IsoFit strength products have proudly strengthened and stabilized athletes in the NFL, NBA, NLB, NHL, and UFC. Pre-sale pricing is on now. Order yours today at www.isofitmsk.ca. That's IsoFit with a ph. Remember to use the discount code Leave Your Mark to save 15% on your purchase. Shipping February 2022. Matrix Fitness has been the longest standing sponsor of the Leave Your Mark podcast. Greg Lawler, the Vice President of Business Development, reached out to me over a year and a half ago to say that he felt we had a common vision for human performance, something bigger than just helping people physically perform better. Their mission aligns with my mission, the idea that by creating the fertile soil for everyone and anyone to start or continue their personal performance journey, we will be here to help you do it. Matrix is one of the biggest brands in fitness and performance equipment today. But they are more than that. They are about helping you reach higher, explore your possibilities, and stay in the game, whatever your chosen path. Whatever you need, whether that is to buy equipment, rent equipment, or seek consultation, or simply recognize the possibilities, Greg and his team at Matrix are here to help you. You can find them at teamupwithmatrix.com today. Everyone struggles with the challenges of life on a daily basis. You're not alone. But if you're like most people, you feel alone, even when you're in a great relationship or a good work environment because it's so hard to honestly reflect on your insecurities and obstacles with the people that you love or serve. After all, everyone wants to present themselves as being on it, prepared, ready to meet the challenges of life head-on. But you know that's not how you always feel inside. Do you sometimes feel as though just having someone to bounce your ideas off of would be something you needed? Maybe you wish you just had someone who would listen to you so you could vent without the fear of judgment. The LYM Life Lab is about real mentorship. It's about me listening to you, connecting, empathizing, realizing, and reflecting so you can make better decisions, create your own change, and live a life of fulfillment and joy. It's not about living the perfect life. It's about living a better life. One you design, craft, explore, and experience within a safe place of objective perspective and honesty, but no judgment. In the coming weeks, I will be opening this program up to an exclusive group of people people who want to see real change in their lives and are willing to work towards real growth. This isn't a program for everyone, but if you're up for the challenge you'll want to pay close attention to how to be included in this powerful experience. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for how you can be an instigator of your own change. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with James Gardner. James is an athletic therapist and strength conditioning specialist, holds a master's degree in kinesiology and health science, and is a Hatha yoga practitioner. He held positions as head athletic trainer in the Blue Jays system, as well as a rehab coordinator role. York University, and various therapy, conditioning, and sports injury rehab roles, including working within the York University Athletic Therapy Program. Most re- recently, he acted as performance consultant with the University of Bahamas and created a wellness lifestyle programming for professionals and students during his three-time time there. I'm going to stop and do that again. That's the first hey, time I've ever... Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with James Gardner. James is an athletic therapist and strength conditioning specialist, holds a master's degree in kinesiology and health science, and is a Hathi yoga practitioner. He held positions as a head athletic trainer in the Blue Jay system, as well as a rehab coordinator role at York University, and various therapy, conditioning, and sports injury rehab roles, including working within the York University athletic therapy program. Most recently, he acted as a performance consultant with the University of the Bahamas and created a wellness lifestyle program for professionals and students during his time there. His new venture, First Star Therapy, sheds light on performance wellness, encompassing personal growth and coaching athletes to access more of themselves for what they do, whether it be sport, daily life, or vocation. He has also developed his own podcast into the same banner and regularly interviews athletic therapists to shed light on their accomplishments. Above all this, he is also a husband and father, and I am pleased to have him here today welcome james hey scott man thanks for having me on uh a pleasure and uh i look forward to to chatting with you as always <laughs> so um let's go back dude uh, you were born where grew up <laughs> yeah uh
1: born and raised in toronto and and uh am back living here now um grew up uh, doing all the things, sports and other things. Lucky enough to have all those opportunities growing up. Had uh, have three siblings, uh, all fairly active, and and each one of us went on to do uh, very independent and individual things. Uh, I remained in the sporting realm uh, in whatever capacity I could, and uh, and sort of you know try to stay in that space as often and as regularly as possible now.
0: So what drew you to baseball? Because I know you're a big baseball guy and baseball is not, you know, when you talk, talk to the Canadian amateur athlete, so to speak, baseball is not the first sport that comes to everybody's, you know, mouth, so to speak. So how did, uh, how did you get uh, attracted to that and then sort of follow that dream?
1: Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I, I can't go back that far in my own memory, but, uh, I think I was, it must've been something to do with the shape of the ball or something like this, or, or the things that were going on behind the scenes and not all the action up front of baseball. I think sort of some of the, uh, uh, maybe some of the more, uh, chess like principles of the game, I guess, you know, some of that, uh, some of that hard thinking and, and not so fast speed. Cause it's not really, uh, it's not really how I function. I don't think in terms of all action all the time. Um, I was throwing a, picking up objects and throwing baseballs for, uh, I don't know, before I started walking, I think, in recollection. And and it just kind of grew on me. And, you know, I, I have plenty of memories in my childhood and still people who know me from when I was, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old out on our, uh, our street throwing a baseball, a tennis ball up against our front porch. And, you know, um, making mock baseball games and and scorekeeping my own games, imaginary games in my head, and and I love listening to Tom Cheek and Jerry Howarth, who were the the announcers. So I always thought that might be a path as well <laughs> to broadcast baseball or or be involved in the game somehow, some way, and um, that that kind of blossomed with some really brilliant mentors and coaches in the game, and that sort of kept. Kept the the spirit up and my interest, and and uh, by no means was I the biggest guy or the hardest thrower, but uh, through opportunity and chance and some some travel baseball, uh, ended up you know, sticking with it through the first couple of years of college, went on a scholarship division to uh, playing baseball and then transferred back from that school to, to Brock university where I did my undergrad played two years there before transitioning over to what I now call a career in athletic therapy, strength and conditioning, performance, wellness kind of thing. So um, yeah, kind of a cool path. And that common thread has always been sort of baseball and I don't, I, yeah, maybe it's a methodical component of things that kind of drew me now in, in reflecting back as to what that draw was. Um you, right a,
0: you were a pitcher?
1: Yeah, I, I pitched and played second base and then eventually dropped second base because I couldn't hit the ball out of the infield and uh, I could still throw the ball somewhat over the plate. So I, so that stuck and, and pitched into college and pitched two years uh, at Brock University and then became a, a student trainer, student therapist uh, for the baseball team for my final two years at Brock. And that's kind of where everything sort of transitioned from the playing state into the uh, riding the bench and and, and finding, as Jewel Kenny puts it, you know, getting paid to ride the the bench. So that was it.
0: How did you discover, you know, it's, I, I kind of find it interesting to unpack or so how you discover the ability to throw the ball to the degree that you become a pitcher versus just being a, a player in the infield, so to speak. How does that sort of conversion moment happen for you? Or do you remember it? Yeah, I don't really remember it as a distinct sort of transition. Um,
1: Again, maybe the methodical part of things. I I wasn't going to overpower anybody physically. It wasn't going to throw the ball by anybody, and and and, you know, like they wouldn't be able to hit it because it was, you know, the velocity was too high. But I could certainly think the game and sort of you know navigate if this guy's setting up this way, or you know, uh, he didn't react well to that pitch. Let me go back in there or go out there, and it was it was a little bit like chess for me, you know, carving it up a little bit and you know not throwing. Um, not being able to to break a pane of glass at the baseball, but, um, being able to throw three pitches all for strikes and mix them in and out of the strike zone. So it was, uh, I think that was it more for me, I guess. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And so you, um, you place, uh, your call, you play college, uh, baseball, you go, you mentioned you went down to, uh, the division two school in the States and what, are, is education a big part of that for you at the time, or are you really just playing baseball and you discover education in some sense? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I was thinking about this today, sort
1: of like, you know, often reflecting now more than ever and 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 taking periods of, of reflection. And looking back through it, like, it was always kind of like next step. How do I keep playing baseball? How do I keep playing baseball? And I went down to Division two school, and it was about baseball um, first and foremost, but then education while I was away, it was kind of like, you know, this is going to come a priority. If I get back to Canada and nobody knows the name of the school that I went to and received my degree from, how does that bode for me in, in a professional space? And I uh, made the decision to transfer back to, to Brock University. And, and it seemed to be a common decision, to be quite honest. We had, uh, I don't know how many guys on the roster at Brock University at that time that did the same thing, you know, went to the mm-hmm. States to various schools uh, to play and for whatever reason, transferred back. And we had to have had shoot I mean I'd have to go back and look at the roster but a minimum of 10 transferring back to to Brock to play together and we had all sort of played with and against each other in the past and and so that made for a nice piece (laughs) transitioning to Canadian University Um, but then the education there became you know obvious priority in terms of what meant the most to to us you could play a little bit on the weekends and it was still fairly competitive but uh, yeah looking back probably one of the better decisions that I made in, in my life to get back to Canada and get situated. And, and then again, that this sort of the cosmic timing of, of overlapping with, uh, with Joe Kenny and Jim Bellata and Karen Millar, who are the therapists down at Brock university and uh, Dr. Andrew Robb now who's a sports chiropractor was my student, therapist at the time when I was playing and so lots of dialogue to sort of say you know maybe playing isn't the professional career but you could use your education and your knowledge of the game and and your education within the game to create uh, something and so it started very much in baseball for me absolutely
0: so those are the guys that you sort of see and you kind of go oh, maybe I can do that that's what uh, kind of stimulated your your interest in athletic therapy at the time yeah, I think so.
1: And and then just sort of uh, as I was finishing up uh, my undergrads, you know, I, I did two years, two years playing at Brock University and then two years as a student therapist. And then those two years overlapped with some great student therapists. But, but um, you know, mainly Joe and, and Jim and Karen just sort of took a took a. Uh, put a huge investment in students. You know, cared about our education, cared about what we uh, wanted to learn, how we could learn it best, and then set us up for, you know, conversation with with people or about people that were in the space that we may want to be in in terms of professional sport. And so, playing baseball, then the obvious next step for me at the time it was obvious was I'm going to find a way to work in baseball. So how do I do that? Um, and so yeah, working in that space as a student therapist, understanding the game, understanding the the ins and outs of training, training and the season and, and all those things. Um, the foundation was already there from understanding the game and, and understanding what it took to play the game at a, a decent level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, in my fourth year, I started reaching out to, a, well, every single major league baseball team to try and find an internship. And it just so happened there was a Canadian in the Blue Jays organization who, similar to the way that you started this conversation off, was like, wow, you're Canadian and, and you want to work in baseball? Like, what about hockey and all those other things? And uh, and we connected and, you know, I ended up driving from St. Catharines or taking a bus at the time of Greyhound back to Toronto and um, interviewing walking on the field at Rogers Center with the head trainer and um, doing interview again that became very impactful in my life that had nothing to do with skills it had nothing to do with anything you know he wanted to know me as a person he wanted to understand uh, where my drive was what my desires were what my family was like you know um, all those kinds of things and that was another person in my life that just sort of at that time really uh for lack of a better pun, like stepped up to the plate and, and, and just like became a huge part of my life. And that was George Poulos, who's now the, you know, he was longtime head trainer for the blue Jays and now he's with the Atlanta Braves. And um, he took me in as an intern in my fourth year of, of my undergrad. And, uh, a whole lot of things aligned to make that happen. Flew, flew down to Florida, flew back from Florida, wrote my finals and, and, and that was it, you know, worked, worked a year in the Can-Am league as a a therapist and, and sort of pseudo strength coach, um, in Ottawa. And then as soon as that season ended, was fully certified and and vetted. and, And there was an opening in the Blue Jays organization that, that winter. And so hopped on board after three years of interning, essentially, you know, um, with the Blue Jays, and, uh, and that's where it all began in baseball. And, and again, such a massive foundation and, and so many pieces to an integrative space um, there. It really laid, like I just, again, I keep coming back to reflective components and it, that's a big part of the last few years of my life and then professional, um, endeavors and, uh, and such amazing opportunities that were set up by, you know, some hard work. And and at the time it seemed like just logical steps. I'm just going to keep doing what comes next. Um, and now and looking back, there was always purpose behind it, you know, and, and the people that intervened, um, whether purposefully or otherwise really assisted in, in formulating the vision of, you know, this sort of performance space for me and, and what I could bring to the table, what I could offer in that space.
0: So what do you fall in love with in athletic therapy and this domain of sort of practice, so to speak, is it the, service to others is it the solving problems is it just being in sport some way and this is the the way what is what is the thing you're falling in love with or fell in love with
1: yeah i think fell in love with and falling in love with may differ a little bit i think i fell in love with being around and 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 being on the field and in the dugout and a part of that um definitely I love that still, but that's not my life currently. Um, falling in love with now is is the constant evolution, not only of the space, but of the self within the space. How do I make the greatest impact? How do we have um, conversations that matter with athletes? How do we become, where does this transition happen over to becoming now uh, a mentor almost in delivering care, right? And, and delivering strategies that are going to help this athlete not because it's me, but because it's them. And because when when I'm out of the room, how are they continually getting better? So, right, it's Leaving Your Mark. It is the name of this podcast. It's a lot of the things that you and Jamie do and have uh, imparted your wisdom on, on so many people. And it's following those footsteps. And yeah, it's making a difference. And, and it's finding those introspective components, those pieces that... I mean, they like it lights me up to pick up books that are, you know, behind me and and read them on a regular basis and see how far the growth has happened in me, but also how that can now be applied in different manners. Like when I look at that textbook five years ago, I was looking at the textbook and saying, okay, I got to do A, B, C, and D in order to make it work. But you know, now it's like, okay, well, A plays a role and and C plays a role, but maybe B, D, and E are are not relevant to the situation. So I can navigate that space a little bit more as a practitioner now with more experience and and a, a, a more open, I guess, systematic approach as opposed to logical stepwise approach. Mm-hmm. And I think that parallels like the growth in the profession for me as well. It's like, it was very step-by-step, go to high school, go to university, do, do athletic therapy, get job, go baseball, do more baseball, you know? And and now it's very much like all those things were, I don't want to say stepping stones, but, but learning milestones and, and just pieces of pieces of a greater puzzle. And and as we all navigate, you know, COVID and what's next and how come and all the why's and how's and what's going to happen, um, the constant reflective piece is, is very powerful. And I think I'm, I am now uh, living what I feel true in the performance space and, and trying to do that to my best ability on, on a daily basis. And it feels uh, it just feels, you know, passion driven and and with heart more than it ever has before, as opposed to uh, logic and and next step and following those things. If that makes, I'm not sure that makes any sense, but it made sure. sense in my head.
0: Well, going back to that, you, in listening to you, one would the listener would probably say, well, how come he didn't end up becoming a baseball head therapist and sort of swan song into the uh, abyss of being uh, in Major League Baseball, so to speak? So what happens that changes that trajectory and sends you off to York University and all that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, and and that was a, that was a sudden change. You know, that was an audible, almost seemingly on the spot. Um, there was an opening at York University at a time in my life where I was still with the Blue Jays, and there was a lot of things going on um, in the background at home, you know, and, and with family, and and uh, and. and to no fault of anybody else's other than my own and taking on, you know, um, long hours and long days, it, be, it becomes a bit of a bubble life in that pro sports space. And, and I recognize it at a time when, <clears throat> excuse me, grandfather was sick and and I hadn't seen him in a while and I didn't think I was going to be able to see him. Um, I couldn't leave the team. I couldn't leave. You know, I didn't feel like I could uh, in retrospect, I probably could have made some calls and said, Hey, can I take a leave for a little bit? But um to be honest, like within me, I felt sort of trapped in that space and, uh, and, and you're at the field and working those long hours while other people are sleeping or other people are off. And so having conversations and having, um, connectivity is really difficult in the pro sports space. And I think, don't think that's something that a lot of people touch on. You have to have a massive support system. And I'm not saying that I didn't. Um, but, uh, yeah. And so that, so the opportunity came up at a time when I felt like I needed and wanted to be at home and, uh, and that was a transition over. And, and to be honest, in my first couple years at York, uh, I was probably a bit resentful that I had left baseball, you know, and, and I didn't quote unquote make it to the big leagues. Um, but those were pieces that uh, I could use that influence and, and that space in the, or the, my, my opportunity and experience from the professional space in a setting uh, with university athletes as well as university athletic therapists in an athletic therapy program and enhance what they were doing. And so that transition from the pro space into the educational setting and into the profession of athletic therapy on a regular basis. And for the future of the profession, again, a a massive stepping stone and sort of learning opportunity, not only for, um, for myself, but for those around me. And then in looking back those first couple of years at York, I was um, very professionally driven. I was 16 hour days. I was still, you know, we're going to treat at 4am when we get back from Bishop's university off a football trip and an exhibition game. I was still uh, in that space.
0: Um, And, well before you get deep into york i just want to go back and unpack the pro thing because i think it's important for the listeners sometimes that and you and i have had that conversation before but um you know there's there's this sort of draw to what your impression of the big show is Mm -hmm. and then there's the show and you get into it and there are different Mm -hmm. levels of the show obviously you were in the minor league so to speak and so there's there's challenges associated with that and the number of hours and i talk about that what you think it's going to be and what it becomes, and then how much it consumes you, and and for the listener, what what you sometimes have to come to terms with if you want to do that kind of work. Yeah, yeah, and I think what you think it is and what it becomes
1: are um, very individualized. Again, like it's going to be person to person how you absorb your time and how you dedicate yourself, or choose to uh, spend your time while you're at the park or or in the gym watching guys lift or helping guys lift or train or all those other things. Um, what it becomes is your life it ends up being your family right you have a, a 30-man roster uh you have a six-man staff you have uh um, a strength coach if you're lucky you have uh, an equipment person you know somebody in the clubhouse and those become the people you see on a daily basis and so there's nothing wrong with that that's a massive support system in in and of itself and i think that's also uh crucial to point out it's not like you're there alone and, and you're the only one in it so there becomes this sort of i guess we can call it a brotherhood or like a you know uh a human element to things that um, within the professional space you can uh, navigate with those other people, um, but what it tends to become or became for me, and, and I can only speak to my own experiences, was you know all-consuming. So we wake up in the morning, and in order to get a lift in, uh, my strength coach, who became a very good friend of mine and a confidant and a friend and a mentor along the way, um, we would lift at six a.m. We'd have breakfast together. Uh, he'd go to the stay at the gym, have the guys come. In to lift, uh, he would monitor them. I would go to the field, wait for the guys to come in, do some early treatment. So you're, you're at the field, you know, 12, 10 to 12 hours a day. And, uh, and then by the time the game's done and you wrap up with post game treatment, you're looking at you know, a couple more hours after the game, typically, maybe 45 minutes on, on a quick night. Uh, and then by the time you're out of there, you know, your family and your friends back home are, are already asleep because they're getting ready for their, their regular hour job the next day. And so there's, a, again, bringing that back around is sort of, there's a lot of things that I felt like potentially I was missing at home. I, I guess I wasn't quite set up um, to understand the full capacity of it as I went in and to no fault of any, again, nobody else's fault, but um, I, I just wasn't really, I gets fully prepared um, to not have anything other than baseball. So you get caught up in the whirlwind of Groundhog Day every day and, and navigating those long days and bus trips and and you pull into a city and it's like we'd run into Walmart. You know, it's a and, and I and I also love this about it too is our strength coach and, and myself, we would make a, a deal every time we got to there to the new city, we would do the check-in at the hotel, make sure everybody got their rooms. Once they were in, we'd leave the bus running, jump back on the bus with the driver, go to Walmart and try to do the Walmart grocery shop for this, for the, you know, the, the at field sort of meals and snacks between batting practice and game time, uh, in under, in under 12 minutes, like, cause Walmart's all set up the same way. Right. So we would almost <laughs> have a game plan. You go left, I'll go right. I'll meet you at the cash in eight and a half. And we'll see if we can get out of here in 12. So we can go, go back to the hotel, mix in a nap or something. But, um, Yeah. So, so what it looks like on the outside, what it feels like on the inside, not, not drastically different, um, but the experience, you know, I I don't, I wouldn't give up any of those days though. You know, you walk out to the field and you're listening to, to guys just chatter about last night's performance or what's coming up or, or talking about, you know, whatever's going on in the world. You still get political inference. You still get, uh, dialogue that's not baseball. Um, and, and it's, it's a great office, you know, where you're outside and, and you're back and forth between the field and the clubhouse. But, um, yeah. And, and then, and, and I think those are some of the pieces that you start to navigate when you're in it, right? Like you, you really got to, uh, dissect how much time you have for those other things. And what are those other things that become priority or, or, you know, potentially problematic?
0: Well, the, when did you meet your current, uh, partner? Yeah, so that was that was uh in
1: uh in an off season actually and then uh and then yeah that that transitioned through and that was a couple years before I left baseball so uh she had committed to to one sport and that was going to be baseball. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So there's always some negotiation in that, and some learning in that. How did that all come down when when somebody falls in love with you, but then they have to fall in love with your job as well? Yeah, yeah, that's a part that I don't think uh, too many people would sign up for if they knew about
1: it. But um, again, lots of time outside, and, and the good part about baseball is there's uh, there's opportunity to read books in the stands. You know, it's like a soap opera. You could pick it up, <laughs> you could pick it up three weeks from now, and not too much has changed. It might drop a game or two in the standings here and there, but to, when you look at it, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So um, lots of time, but again, it would be sort of a, a lot of sacrifice on, on everybody else who's supporting you in your job and in your role, right? Because uh, in order to have time, then we got we, we, we to get up at six thirty seven 7 in the morning to have breakfast together because the job starts at, you know, 12 and to have somebody or 11 and to have somebody understand, you know, um, a game is at 7 p.m. But your workday starts essentially from the time you get up because you're on call for somebody sick. They got a doctor's appointment. They got an MRI in the minor leagues. You're doing a lot of things that um, are extra requirements, but they are still requirements, you know, booking flights for uh, for players traveling up or down. In our case, it was usually up from single A long season, a ball to double A or triple A or wherever they might be going Um I would always pride myself on being there for everybody mm-hmm. and to my own detriment, but also to my own well-being. you know, cause I felt like that was really important and I still do. If somebody had an MRI, I wanted to ensure they got there. They didn't have any questions cause I know what some of those facilities can be like. It's, it's in out. And if you have any questions, you're left kind of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in awe when you walk out. So, you know, taking guys to and from doctor's appointments or, or meeting them there at least and, and going through all those things. So, um, and again, I, I I don't want this to come off sounding like don't work in pro sport. I, I think all of those things have laid an amazing foundation for for what I value and identified a lot of the things that um, are important also outside of outside sure. of professional of the professional sports
0: space. No, I don't think that's the um, the intent of the question. Is not. Should you or shouldn't you? It's why do you and do you understand what's involved in it, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, sort of along that lines, like um, you know, I, I worked in hockey and hockey and baseball. I, I find are kind of parallel universes in the sense that they're a little bit more traditional than basketball and football, which kind of derive uh, uh, an energy from the uh, NCAA sort of process of uh, development of coaching and development of athletes and things. So y- you find in those sports that there's a little bit more of a progressive, uh, viewpoint of, of how things go in the model of performance and then baseball and hockey there, there was certainly a lesser degree of that and, and certainly changed in the last 10, 15 years. But, um, you know, when you hearken back to when you were working or playing it and then working in it, you know, what has changed, dramatically in those in the time that you were involved in baseball in terms of people's understanding of what they had to do to play the game and what they had to do to support the game that they wanted to play in comparison yeah. to 20 years ago.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Um. I mean, lots has changed and, and I, I equate some of that as to my understanding of my education. You know, I didn't really ever feel that uh, that emphasis on um, specialization at an early age or any of those elements in the amateur space. I didn't feel it personally when I was playing. I played a little bit of hockey and, you know, just as a Canadian in, in, in the Toronto area. Um, and, and then a lot of baseball and summers were spent, you know, that was how we spent our summers. We would drive around and go to tournaments and those kind of things. So, so what's changed, I think like definitely in the, in the pro sports space and uh, in, in the performance space is the understanding or uh, the appreciation of what goes into Preparation, so understanding a little bit more of the the dialogue uh, within the body and and what it takes to prepare and sort of. Um uh, equip yourself for the long haul like baseball is not one of those sports that uh, being bigger necessarily or stronger in certain lifts and things like that makes a ton of sense um, but somebody could also argue that it does um, it, it's longevity right and so and so that understanding of when to start throwing do I need to throw to get better at throwing uh, that's a really interesting conversation for me in that space now I'm working with some amateur level uh, athletes and working and talking with some higher level, um, performance coaches and and athletes in that space as well is, you you know, we look at big leaguers and they start throwing in November, December, and then we look at 13, 14 year olds and and I'm seeing on social media, all kinds of things looking at velocity in in like 12, 13, 14 year olds in Mm -hmm. December. And, and I, I don't have the full context of it. So I don't want to, you know, come off judging those people but i'm i'm looking at it saying like there's a whole lot of other things we can do in the baseball space and in the performance space to get better at throwing and to develop velocity that doesn't involve throwing. Um, so for me, I think that's a broader understanding uh, it used to be. And like maybe even in, in the beginning of my time, it's like do a couple of these babies, like some arm circles and and throw the elbow behind the head, stretch it out, pick up the ball, start firing it. And and then you're good to go. Right. And some static stretching and, and things like that, which is, you know, also making some, uh, some semblance of a comeback as well. But, but um, I think there's a greater understanding of, of our capacity uh, as human beings to function and operate in the in the sports space um, and what it takes to to remain, you know, in that space as a pro and as an amateur. So, um, yeah, I think looking at. Uh, 20 years ago to now, I, I'm biased by my own understandings and, and my own education between now and then, but, uh, the game itself is, is, shifted definitely with metrics and things like that being a greater focus. And, um, you know, scouts are, are a lot different these days because well, they're using different metrics and the game is played, you know, home run heavy, velocity heavy. And so that trickles down into the amateur space. So uh, I'm not sure that's good, bad, or in between, but it's definitely started to shift uh, a little bit more that way.
0: Mm-hmm so you uh, you go and you work at york and you're kind of getting now you're teaching and um sort of mentoring and things like that in that role and what do you learn about yourself in that process of now putting yourself in a teaching position and a and a mentoring position and what 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 challenges you in that and what how do you grow with that
1: yeah um <laughs> I think it was a great opportunity because out of the bat, I I jumped right in with a football program. And so, again, like I transitioned that pro mentality as a pro therapist and with a pro team into a university setting. So I felt like I brought something new to the table. I felt like those 16 hour days were something that may not have existed in the past with that program. And so having students see that. And understand that it's going to take a whole lot more than just sort of showing up five minutes before wrapping an ankle and then walking out to the field and hanging around for a little while Um, I could kind of lead by example so uh, anybody listening to this that was a student at the time they they heard the you know make khaki cool again kind of speech and and there's going to be no denim on these sidelines and you're going to tuck your polo shirt in and it's going to be you know sort of militaristic in its approach to to therapy and and that not that it was that way in, in pro baseball but it kind of was you know there was a certain way you had to look a certain way you had to act um and uh, and so those are kind of funny points looking back at them but also i think very valuable for students now in reflecting on those is like the professional piece is is definitely massive and and it creates trust and it creates uh um uh, may, maybe a little bit greater emphasis on sort of us looking a certain way so that people would understand, you know, what our role is. If we're a little bit dressier or a little bit less casual on the sidelines, then then maybe we're a little bit more on that medical side than we are on that, on that athlete side. So yeah, those are some good lessons there. And, and then, then and ton to take away from the students, right? Like each student is somebody's child. And I think that's, that's an amazing piece that I've learned in becoming a father and like seeing every other person as somebody else's son or daughter, um, has created a lot of empathy in me and a lot of understanding to, um, um, to try to connect, right? To to listen a little better, to to talk a little bit deeper, to um, try to find a way to, t- to relate right? So, so I, I use an analogy of gloves and like, you know, some people you got to put on boxing gloves to talk to and other people you got to put on oven mitts. And, uh, and I think that really taught me a lot working in that space in the education space and, and going about doing my quote unquote, my job, um, to get and keep athletes on the field, uh, and educate them through their process of healing or their process of training. Um, but at the same time lead as a mentor, or as an example within the field to students. So I had to watch my P's and Q's, a little bit. So that was a constant evolution for me as well, right? Because I was, mm-hmm. whether I liked it or not,
0: um, a mentor to a number of students. So how do you, um, how do you end up going Down to the Bahamas, your wife gets an opportunity down there, right? Is that... uh, Yeah, that's kind of the the long and the short of it is she's an educator
1: and and she got recruited, headhunted to come and do some work in in some curricular development there at a school with somebody who she used to work with. Uh, And I was kind of the throw-in, you know, and and so the throw-in was, here are my skill sets, here are my credentials, um, can we navigate this space to sort of massage it into a role uh, because there wasn't one, you know, at the school that we were working at, and um, and it worked out quite nicely. Because again, I I, I had no. Um no expectations going in. I was going to work at a school. I was going to work with youth. I was going to understand sort of this was an opportunity for me to grow and, and do a little bit of management and, and look after a seven-sport portfolio, most of which I had no idea what kind of sports they were, you know, sailing, equestrian, uh, some other sort of sports that I hadn't spent a lot of time with, obviously. And um, so that was really cool. I got to manage like some, um, some pro coaches. So I was looking after basically an after-school program as a pseudo-athletic director, uh, managing those programs from a book standpoint, you know, financials and things like that. Um, but a programming and scheduling standpoint, and then leading, uh, sort of, uh, w- what we call like neurokinetics or, or, you know, um, human movement, physical literacy, whatever we're going to call it, strength and conditioning stuff for some higher level athletes. And then that transitioned nicely. And, and, uh, once people sort of understood, um, what my background was uh, that that space kind of shifted a little bit away from you know the after school management to some wellness components for the teachers and the administrators of the school as well as some of the students and uh, and then that space transitioned you know we both had summers off for the first time ever and and I lived uh, uh, my son and wife came back to Canada I stayed in the Bahamas and lived at an ashram and studied hatha yoga for a month sort of uh, to you know full immersive course and And again, like what an opportunity and just like glued a lot of pieces together for me. I went in just sort of thinking, I guess I could be anybody could be a yoga instructor. Let me try, you know, ignorant and uh, um, came out the other end, shaking my head and uh, in recognition that I needed that more than I ever thought. Like I didn't think I needed it. I was just going to do it as like a thing. Maybe I can make some money being a yoga instructor in the Bahamas and uh, walked out with a, a greater understanding of who I am. Um, and I think, again, that's that's transitioned nicely into sort of where I'm at now and entrepreneur, or subcontractor, whatever we're going to call it. Um, in First Start Therapy, uh, the vision and philosophy is very much what I find in me, I can see in everybody else. And, and as I start to, to light this fire and continue to fuel it within myself, I see it everywhere and, and I want to help people bring that out if not bring it out, then let my flame get closer to yours because the closer they are together, the more light we create. And, and I just, you know, I just put a post out on Instagram the other day. It was like a glowing logo in the blackness right on time with the, you know, the latest lockdown here in Ontario. And I truly believe that in it, obviously like in the darkest times, that's when light is, is going to shine through. Right. And, and so, um, yeah, the Bahamas was a piece that was a completely unexpected uh, not on the next logical thing to do, but uh, a kind of, wouldn't it be cool to try that? And, you know, our son is, is was three at the time and from three to five to live at an ocean and and run around and bare feet and learn about the reef and, and do some different cultural pieces. And it just made sense to, to, you know, instead of the why, do the why not, like, give it a go. What's the worst that happens, you know?
0: Well, I, I feel like um, I first ran into you at the... I think it was the Quebec CATA conference and you were teaching in a lab and it seemed like what you were going to be doing was interesting. So I walked into the back of the lab and we got to meet each other and connect a little bit. And um, then we sort of started a dialogue and stayed in touch with one another. And I get the feeling that, you know, up until a certain point in the Bahamas, you were kind of Running on a treadmill as fast as you could to sort of do what you thought you were supposed to do, and then somehow had this epiphany of some degree or another that there was more to it than that, and that you were going to start to investigate the self a little bit. And you know, it, obviously, the yoga played a part in that. But what did you? What did you finally sort of come? to terms with that you needed to do that you weren't doing before in terms of your recognition of connect connection to why so to speak
1: yeah, um, I'll give you. The, I think the story that summarizes the best. And I was sitting at the ashram before my wife and and son had flown back to Canada, and uh, they came over for lunch because I, I was living there at the ashram. And uh, they came over for lunch, and and my son sat down and pulled a snack out of his bag, and he had an apple and another piece of fruit. And he said, he looked at me and he said, "What's the difference between these two pieces? Like, how do I tell this is an apple and this is a this is a pear or an orange?" Sorry, this dog is a nightmare. One second here. Um, and he said, "How do I tell that? How do I?" Tell the difference between these two pieces of fruit, and uh, and I looked at him and I said, I don't know. How, how do you tell? Like you can definitely taste the difference, right? You can look at it and see the difference, and he said. And he, and I said, "But what are the things that are the same?" And he said, "Well, the inside is the same. They both have seeds inside." And I looked at him, and was kind of like this kid's, you know, four years old, and like he is my he is my Buddha. He's teaching me so many things here. And uh, and then I said, "What do they need to grow?" And they had studied a unit in sort of growth of plants. And he said, "You know, they need water and sunlight and soil uh, and fresh air." But then he paused, and it was almost like this intentional pause. And he looked at me straight in the eyes, and it brings tears to my eyes every time I tell the story. And he said, and space, Dad, they need space. And that was one thing that he had never brought before uh, to the table from his school. You know, the other four definitely, but that fifth element of space. And so that's the one for me that I think Bahamas brought um, to really light bring the light um, within me and and sort of uh, generate this introspective piece or highlight this introspective piece
0: quick break here and we'll be back in a couple of seconds with our podcast guest The reconditioning process is powerful. It's provocative, and it has become a sought-after capacity in the human performance world. ReconditioningHQ.com has released the R-Pro series, a four-step turnkey process to integrating the worlds of therapy and performance. Four steps, one mission, to make you the reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. The first step is R1 Foundations, and it's recently been turbocharged with the injection of applied neurology. We are extremely excited about what this new capacity is going to do to your ability to solve problems and serve your client. For more information about the R-Pro series or any one of our empowering courses, head over to reconditioninghq.com and take advantage of our free five hours video that takes you through our groundbreaking method of improving mobility. Do you let $100,000 walk out of your rehab business every year? If you're like most businesses, you do. Operating your business under a fix or release model drives your client revenue out the door. For less than $10 per day, Isofit's line of strength products can change your revolving door of lost revenue into a flourishing rehab, prevention, and performance training business. Call them at one 866 2 iso I S O P H I T and strengthen your rehab business bottom line today. Matrix fitness is a global brand of fitness and performance equipment with over 7,000 employees worldwide. Their expertise and capacity in this world are exceptional with over 500 products that cater to the medical fitness and athletic performance markets, but they want to do more than provide product. They want to help you thrive as a performance professional or business person. They are here to help. Whatever your problem might be, they are ready and willing to help you find solutions. Greg Lawler and his team at Matrix can be contacted at teamupwithmatrix.com. And believe me when I say this, they will make a difference in your success. We're back. Enjoy the rest of this podcast.
1: That, that story kind of summarizes it for me, that growth piece um, and, and that space. And I think that's what it did for me. It created the space to step back and stop taking all of the skills and all of the courses and all of the degrees and all of the letters so seriously and really, truly look at what is it? Like, what is it? What is the why? And and being in a space where physically you can go to a beach and look out at a horizon on an ocean and see, my gosh, this is a massive place that we're in. There is so much opportunity in that to, to see that from an analogy standpoint or a metaphor, um, but at the same time to sit back and say, like, what do all my worries or what do all my letters after my name or all the things that I've taken so seriously for so long, what do they really matter? I'm a speck of, I'm a, I'm a speck of sand on this beach, you know, and, and there's so much out there so it can kind of go either way, mm. plenty of opportunity or I, I mean very little. So like, what am I taking so seriously? Either way, I think both positive, both positive outcomes. Um, and, and that's kind of where I started navigating. Yeah. Got off the treadmill and just said like, why am I running so hard? Like, why am I running so hard here to, and I love your, I love your analogy. So let me play on that. It's like, I'm running so hard so I can get out of breath, get off, put my hands on my knees and then do it all over again tomorrow. Like, why, why don't I go for a walk and like feel my toes in the sand and like sit in the ocean or look out to the horizon. So, um, I guess those are kind of it and, and like the opportunity to go to an ashram, um, would never have happened if we didn't take that risk and do the why not of like, why not take a risk here and just try something completely off the wall when it comes to sort of like you
0: go school, 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 work, work, work,
1: you know, those kind of things. So
0: you're also down there for one of the most destructive hurricanes in that region's uh, history. So what do you, what do you learn about community and self from, from that experience?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting place um, to begin with. We were in a very affluent part of of New Providence, um, NASA. And and so to see, there's a lot of different people um, from different parts of the world, uh, as well as locals. um, But it was a very nice little community that supported one another. Uh, luckily during that hurricane in for Nassau and new Providence, the Island itself didn't get hit too badly. There was some high winds, a little bit of flooding, maybe in, 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 one end of the Island. Uh, but it was the islands to the North that got absolutely demolished as you say, you know, most people saw through the media. Um, and we were leaving, you know, two years later, like we just came back to Canada in June and there were still hundreds of people living in the, in the downtown, in the gym, in the gymnasium, uh, in, in NASA, you know, mm. Um, survivors. And so the infrastructure and you start to see like how little uh, infrastructure is there, how little support there is within that country um, financially to, to recover from these massive things. And to see that also opens your eyes to humanity, you know, and, and you start to see uh, a different part of the world, a different Type of struggle, uh, a different type of support, uh, different different networks and different cultures coming together in, in driving that. And, and our school did a great job of supporting survivors and, and sending supplies. And we sent our dinghy from our you know our sailing uh, our sailing program over to to those islands that were affected to you know help pull people out and help you know locate people or, or do those kinds of things. But um, you know, that was a, an extremely destructive hurricane. And it led to, again, like a lot of, um, turmoil and pain, uh, but also brought a lot of the light, uh, in the darkness as well of, of unity and, and, and bringing people together. So those are all like life lessons taught through, um, experience. And, and, you know, thankfully, uh, us and everybody close to us, it, it didn't have a massive direct impact, um, but certainly seeing members of that community experience, family members and, and other people, the destruction that that took, it, it takes um, it takes a part of you as well as a, as a human being, you know, to, to, to look at that and say, like, not, oh, look how lucky I am, but wow, like, we're all in this together. There is no divide between us here. How, how do I do my part? And so I think that was, again, another piece of it that, um, that became... Uh, a very humbling experience a growth experience and and to tail off of that there was you know <clears throat> a really uh a traumatic event that took place a couple of nine days at like just after the hurricane there's a bunch of survivors that had come over and and um, my wife and i were going to look at a at a um uh, at a new apartment for whatever reason, we were looking for a new place. And, and, uh, we, we were in the next parking lot over to a construction accident and, uh, and not to get too long winded here, but, um, a construction accident happened. We just heard a loud bang and then a bunch of men just screaming like cries you'd never heard before. And, um, me with a first responder background as an athletic therapist, again, having those things. I, I opened the door, looked around, just saw a bunch of men just walking on a construction site with their hands on their head. And I just crossed my fingers and said, I, I hope that just means a ton of cement just fell over and like their job site is ruined, you know, or they, they knocked on a wall or something. <clears throat> I went into the scene and and. And uh, a a man had been knocked off a third-story building with a pile of cinder blocks. And I won't get into the details of that, but it wasn't pretty. Basal skull fracture, quite obviously, looking at that. um, A bunch of men who have no background in in anything. Um, I'm calling to my wife to bring over blankets and and whatever to cover him up from shock and not let anybody else see this and send everybody away. Eventually, a doctor comes out um, of the grocery store next door. And, uh, and, and I have this man in my hands at this construction site and, and he passed away in my hands with a doctor next to me. And, and I don't say this in any other meaning other than like, this was a true expression of, of humanity and, and watching somebody's life leave their body. Um, it was traumatic for me at the time. But the reason I bring up the story is because I went to a trauma center uh, to deal with that, to have somebody talk to me about it a little bit in a group setting. And there was a lot of um, a lot of people who were providing support for survivors. Um, and there's a big divide in, in the Bahamas between Bahamians, local Bahamians, true Bahamians, and, and Haitians. There were a lot of uh, undocumented Haitians, and there were a lot of undocumented Haitians being brought to Nassau because of the, the survivorship in the hurricane. And um, it very much in that room talking about the people who were helping became an us and them, a a, a Bahamians and a Haitians. And I was Canadian. I was only non-Bahamian in the room. And and I said, I'm not here for this purpose. Like I'm not here because I'm trying, I'm dealing with the same trauma as you, but I am dealing with trauma. And I said, you know, um, but the one thing that I can hopefully do in support of you is to help you understand that help comes in a lot of different forms but I'm not sure that it's help, if it's us versus them. I'm not sure if that divide is is true help, if there's still that divide. And I said, you know, seven days ago or nine days ago, I held a man in my hands as he passed away, and it just so turned out he was Haitian. And not for one minute did it cross my mind, this is, a, this is anything other than a human being. And um, those are the pieces that come from uh, having the background, having the understanding to respond to an emergent situation, um, but also having that opening within me uh, to go and, and accept help, to go and 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 go to a trauma workshop with a bunch of people I don't know, to offer my experience. Um, and you've touched on it, and lots of people have touched on it recently. Like nobody has to be an expert to share their story, and I feel like sharing stories is a healing mechanism as much as it is a teaching mechanism. Um, So, yeah, I think, I I mean, I'm summarizing my entire experience at two years in the Bahamas, but uh, I I think all of those experiences have enhanced all of who I feel I am and trying to be as true to those Mm wise, maybe more now, than ever before in my career. And so, um, what a cool opportunity, like to be in the Bahamas. And, and I look at that and I look at that man losing his life as a teachable moment. And that is his way to stay alive, uh, in me is through not telling the story necessarily, but that experience for me allows me to open and, and be, um, supportive in whatever manner that I can. And I feel like that is massive in, in, the dark time that we're in now with COVID, but also in the space that we're in, the performance space. I think there's a large yearning for blending uh, wellness and performance and not having them as two separate entities. And that's sort of what I'm aiming to do as I move forward without a direct aim, but like trying to navigate those spaces to be more uniformed and more holistic in, in the approach.
0: Well, it's interesting when you you, you talk, touch on something that I think is a—it's an interesting human... Reality that we're much more uh, touched by the the moment of a singular human connection or a singular human um, disparity and a, a moment of you know face to face connection than we are with the sort of call it the the I don't like using the word media but it's the the drama of the day so we can have three thousand people dying a day of covid in the united states and it's kind of like uh it's become a, a stat when you know close to that many people died in 9 11 and then you talk about this moment of you know trauma in front of you and i think you know i forget the story but typically uh there have been studies done around people's connection to you know the singular versus the many and that many factor seems to just dumb it down in terms of our reaction to or recognition of the actual what is actually happening you know mm-hmm. um so I think there's great value in hearing, A, that story, and then B, rep, people recognizing that, you know, people are going through that level of trauma every day, and in our healthcare workers, and I sort of preface this because I know where you're headed now in your career now, where I'm headed in my career is this, you know, we work in an industry, you you started it with the 16-hour days, and the, you know, X number of the 80-hour work weeks, and the burnout, and the, you know, the there's a side to it that's... You know, adrenaline-seeking and ex- and exciting and interesting, etc. But there's also a side of it that most people don't see in our industry, which is the unfortunate failures of marriages, uh, relationships with children that aren't good, uh, you know, health situations that become difficult later on in life because of the way that we've sort of been sold that that's the acceptable way to operate. Mm-hmm. Before I go into that sort of epiphanistic sort of element at the back end of our conversation and, and yeah. what you're doing now, I'm going to read uh, your, your purpose from my lovely book. So you're February 14th, which is really cool. You get to celebrate your birthday and Valentine's Day every year. You're a lucky little man. I imagine a very, <laughs> very romantic birthday that you yeah, have with your wife. Something, something
1: like sometimes that. Sometimes
0: maybe, sometimes maybe not. Aquarius 5, you are. And I was struck when I saw you were in Aquarius. It kind of uh, made sense to me. So your purpose is to use your great mind and your unlimited strength to set inner boundaries, preventing you from diminishing your power by taking on the responsibility of the world, which will prevent you from manifesting your own wonderful dream. Whatever you can do or dream you can begin it boldness has genius power and magic in it Johann wolfgang von goeth the aquarius fives are brilliant and capable of solving most any problem their problem is that they take on too much they can't say no to no to responsibility they feel too sorry for others no they know they can do a better job, and so volunteer. This kind of action keeps them from manifesting something truly wonderful in the world. They need to find their purpose and then watch the doors open. Aquarius Fives desperately need boundaries. They need to learn how to be in a relationship and to face the fact that they are not perfect and bound occasionally to disappoint their partners. They hide from relationships until they learn not to lose themselves in one. Aquarius Fives need some assertiveness training when it comes to their emotions. Once they truly understand they're entitled to a life of their own they're on their way when i read that before i read it i said you know this is i'm going to finish this puppy with this because uh, i think you finally maybe found where you're supposed to be uh, after the drama of 80 uh, hour work weeks etc and the bahamas and coming back now so maybe talk about what you've learned and why it's sort of characterizing the work you're doing now yeah. Um well thank
1: you for that. I I hadn't heard that and, and I think a lot of that rings true. Uh the brilliant part, you know, probably not. But um <laughs> uh I, I I yeah, I I you know, I, I played with this Idea of going out on my own, quote unquote, you know, back in the days in in school and and whatever. And I came up with a an acronym that was First Star, and I wanted to have a star that was moving, and and First Star would be an acronym, and and I, that acronym has changed, but the name, for whatever reason, is stuck with me, and and sort of uh, over time, it's become you know functional integrative rehabilitation, sports specific training. Adaptation and react, re-education. And so the adaptation and the re-education part at the end of that, uh, I, I think that's the purpose for me. And, and the ability to adapt and the ability to, to, at your own pace and at your own tempo, uh, find what resonates with you and not chase that dream but follow that intuition, I think. and And I think a lot of what you just touched on, I truly feel um, I haven't found, but am finding a lot more connectivity with athletes, uh, with other practitioners, with like-minded people, um, and and bringing that empowerment piece in my own way, and being empowered by engaging in conversations and and it becomes uh, reflective periods. Uh, but also periods of refraction, you know and 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 reverberation and 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 sort of living in that space. And uh, I was never open to energy and and you know these kinds of things is all very science driven. Um, but I was in my own way. And then, as those doors slowly opened, uh, this piece of 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 Intuition and, and I'm going to say love and maybe that's a, a, a strange term, but like following those two principles, I now feel more whole than I ever have before. I feel like I'm, I'm living uh, my truth in, in, in a lot of areas and, and still developing in, in plenty of others. But um, yeah, and, and I hope that uh, as things move along uh, with athletes and relationships in the, in the performance space and in the working space, Um, that athletes feel that as well. And, and, and that um, we continue to mold and shift and adapt and, and really change what performance looks like. And I think, I think that wellness piece is playing a role in that. And, and so the Hatha yoga, I'm not a, I don't teach yoga classes, but I build yoga into, and not as a physical practice necessarily, but as a, um, a lifestyle practice into everything that we do. So part of recovery is now a lot of breath work and, and everybody takes their own take on breath work and that's perfectly good and great. Um, But like we do, we do, um, we were doing prior to some of the restrictions, you know, a day a week would be dedicated to physical yoga. And a lot of that physical yoga would be how do we downregulate? And I was just having this conversation the other day. and, And I think maybe my shift, even in this conversation, my focus is shifting from ramping up to ramping down. Like we we are constantly as humans ramping up and as athletes ramping up for season playoffs, next game on and on and on and on and on. And very rarely in my experience, which I can only speak to, do we take the time to ramp down and that ramp down allows us to ramp up in a, in a far more resilient manner the next time. Right, And so uh, we built it in uh, in the facility that, that I've had the opportunity to connect with Dan Noble, another uh, strength coach, and, and working with him uh, on the floor, build that in once a week with the athletes that we were working with. And uh, every Wednesday was a yoga session. And that would be mental, that would be psycho-emotional, that would be breath work, uh, as well as the physical piece. And so um, bringing that piece in, uh, in I guess, my own take on it as part of a systematic approach to performance, uh, has been a, a really cool venture for me and, and and a, in a I don't prescribe things. I, I I just kind of feel off of the energy and, you know, we have a framework, but, uh, really allowing that to build in naturally into athletes' lives. And if there's some resistance to it, then really trying to investigate, like, what is that resistance and what is the reason for that resistance? And, and just because you haven't done it before, maybe that's, that's, and, and sort of creating maybe a little bit of, of nudging the door open for others to explore it, but not forcing it down their throats. Cause cause that's not, uh, that's not, um, the manner in, in which I believe things work anyway but uh, i don't know if that even answered your question
0: <laughs> what have well, you enjoyed about um podcasting so far the interview process that you're doing with uh yeah it's a lot easier for me to therapy.
1: it's a lot easier for me to ask the questions and listen to people's stories um i'm, I'm not the most uh, cohesive in my answers I, I sort of tend to follow a thought and then it Transitions to another one, but um, yeah, hosting has been amazing. You know, it's allowed me to do some research on people. It's allowed me to connect with some other people. It's, and then again, it's it's coming back to that Aquarius that you read there. It's it's been an opportunity to connect others and connect with others and connect people through uh, a medium in this time where we've been forced to go online. So why not make try to make the most of it? Um, had opportunities to. Um, talk with some people I've never met in person before, and, and host them, and get to know them a little bit, and have the therapy world and the performance space understand who they are and what their take is on things. And and there's been a lot of connections into the educational pieces now with Sheridan and uh, Concordia and Mount Royal and York and Kamosin. Uh, a lot of these students uh, uh, from these programs have reached out and said, "This is like I would have never known about this." And so uh, I think opening those doors and opening those channels is, is is part of my purpose as well is to really puff up our chest as a profession in athletic therapy and pat ourselves on the back and, and, you know, thank each other for what we do, but also show people just how broad that, Practice of athletic therapy is and can be. It's not limited uh, by anything other than uh, our, ourself, right? And so come back to ground and, and, like, if we give it space, we give it water, we give it sunlight, uh, it's going to grow. And so providing that environment or doing my part in that environment to sow and and then we can reap you know and so it's been really cool man like I, I love it every i look forward to it every week like playing host and just talking to people and hearing their journeys and their stories and and then and then the techie part like going on there and seeing like how many people are listening to it right night like live or 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 later on so it's been great man it's been great and it was awesome having you on i'm I'm about ready to to get your audio up and get it onto the podcast too which i'm going back and doing the
0: first few episodes so cool um, last question. So if, uh, you were to run into yourself kind of after the baseball dream had ended, what would you say to yourself? This has played a role,
1: but it's not your end. Um, I think, I think that's a big one. And, uh, I felt like it at the time, you know, like maybe I didn't live up to somebody's expectations, even if they were my own. And and now in looking back, Yeah. Yeah, definitely not the end, but but most definitely a, a new beginning.
0: Cool. Thank you for taking the time, sir.
1: Um, I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Hope you enjoyed the ride. Yeah. Have, a, have a good day. Yeah, you too. Sorry for the dogs. No worries. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.